Reimbursement and quality are not two separate lanes on the interstate. Under value-based purchasing, they are interrelated. That requires rethinking how you operate. At the heart of operating in post-acute or non-acute is service delivery. Welcome to Second Opinions, a HealthStream podcast. I'm your host, Brad Weeks. Join me as I talk to some of the preeminent thought leaders and experts working in healthcare today. In these candid interviews, we're going to hear some alternative views. We're definitely going to challenge conventional wisdom, and we're going to get a little personal. But we are looking for second opinions. Join us. Our guest today is Vicki Harris, president and founder of QEC Partners and the current board chair of the Middle Tennessee Council on Aging. Vicki, thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your company and its area of focus. I have spent the greatest portion of my career in the long-term services and support area. My company is QEC Partners. QEC stands for Quality, Efficiency, and Collaboration. We believe those to be three non-negotiable drivers of new business models in both post-acute and non-acute long-term services and support. We see ourselves as integration specialists in helping post-acute and long-term service organizations to reposition for value-based care, thinking through from the perspective of quality, efficiency, and collaboration. We see ourselves as bridge builders, identifying those touch points. We've developed a platform to bridge the communication gap between community-based social service organizations and healthcare providers around social determinants of health. Recognizing that about 20% of spending, healthcare spending, is related to unmet social needs and that we have a vast resource available to us in our communities, but we need to organize that in such a way that it aligns with value-based purchasing. Actually, when I reflect back on my career, it looks like I was destined to come to this place. I started my career uh, working in outpatient clinics, uh, managing three outpatient clinics uh, in the community, and then progressed on to a position reviewing certificate of need applications for the state of Tennessee which gave me a broad base of knowledge about every healthcare entity in the state at the time. From there, I went on to work uh, for a home health agency as their director of market development and research. And then just by coincidence, uh, I had uh, obtained my nursing home administrator's license, fell in love with the business side of nursing home management, uh, as well as the people side, which are the older adults um, and the staff that, that really come to the table with a high level of compassion to take care of those individuals on a day-to-day basis. After about 20 years, landed a position with an academic medical center, and that gave me, again, that broad-based exposure to the healthcare sector. And From there, I went on to uh, lead a statewide care management program. Since then, I've been an independent consultant trying to close those gaps because each one of those latter experiences with the academic medical center as well as the 
uh, VP of a statewide care management program, highlighted the gaps. And all of this was prior to uh, the Affordable Care Act. What inspires you most about the post-acute or non-acute market? Well, if you just step back and you look at the post-acute and the non-acute market sectors, that's where the most significant opportunities will lie in the future. I know the significant dollars are spent on the acute care side, but that's episodic. And so as we move toward value-based healthcare delivery and population health management, and we're looking at the whole person, those three to five days in the hospital is not where the significant gains will occur. It will be in the community. Our clients, those who are patients in the healthcare system for a short period of time, are in the community. And we've got to figure out how do we support them with infrastructure, information, to help guide them to better decision-making as well as navigation of services to support their health status. So I find that very exciting because those are that's a place we've not been before in this country because we've been so focused on the acute care side, we've been so focused on the episodic, and you know, all the evidence has pointed out that that fragmentation, just focusing kind of like on a sick care system, is not the path that we can continue to take and it be sustainable. What are some of the greatest challenges, or maybe some of the greatest gaps that you see need repair or closure In the post-acute setting, what we're seeing happening as a result of of, of initiatives coming out of the Affordable Care Act is the closing of the gap between post-acute and acute. Now, that has been a huge challenge for acute care, knowing which partners to pick and how to pick them and how to sustain them. We don't, we don't talk the same language. I refer to our healthcare delivery system as this quilt that's been designed over the last 50 years or so uh, since the passage of Medicare that we didn't have a master design plan for. And so it was just kind of like whatever piece of fabric that happened to pop up, we, we sewed it on, attached it to it. Our reimbursement uh, programs were tailored based on sectors and, and did not facilitate talking the same language. We're overcoming that. And, of course, acute care uh, takes the lead, and we have to learn post-acute as well as non-acute community providers is how do we fit into the DRG language and to the workflows of the acute care system. Prior to this, there's been no incentive to do so. We know through, again, through our work, but any literature out there discusses the importance of employee retention in healthcare and just how difficult it is. Uh, We also know, especially through your experience, it's even more difficult outside the hospital to retain your best employees. Why is that? I will use my experience as an example. And having been a nursing home administrator of various size facilities in urban and rural areas, corporate-owned as well as government-owned, I know I didn't have a strategic 
plan around employee retention. And I almost think we need to change how we even talk about employee retention. I honestly, if it was me today, I would actually uh, not want to measure employee retention as much as I want to measure what I am investing uh, in employees to become the employer of choice. Because if I focus on being the employer of choice, the retention measurement will go down. But if I'm solely focused on the measure and not what it is that truly drives retention, I think you're missing the boat completely because I'm focused on the number. It's the same concept as trying to improve patient experience survey results or trying to improve quality outcomes or even trying to improve your bottom line. You can't just look at the dashboard number itself and know the root cause behind that. You cannot. And the only way we can get at the root cause is to understand what does it take to keep employees engaged with our organization. And unless we're having those conversations and and, and developing strategies to address that, we're missing opportunities. Let's roll up our sleeves here for a minute. You mentioned earlier uh, transition to value-based care. Um, what do you think the most significant impacts will be on this part of healthcare? It's a game changer. It is an absolute game changer. We're already seeing it. On the post-acute side, I will borrow from the former CEO of Leading Age, which is a national organization. Years ago, I heard him speak about the train that was leaving the station, that there would be some existing and some non-existing providers. So some of us that were sitting there today uh, would not be here 10 years from now. The challenge still ties back to staff, and we're in the service business, so it's, you cannot disconnect the value of people, your employees, from where we're headed in value-based payment and delivery models. Because if you think about it, it's back to the quality, the efficiency, and the collaboration. In a service business, you can't hit those required metrics unless you've got a highly competent staff. I honestly believe that it will fuel post-acute and non-acute to take a step, and it's already doing so, in the right direction around looking at staff and HR and retention through a different set of lens and actually having a plan that we invest in as an organization. Number two, value-based purchasing will force post-acute particularly, and um, non-acute models to re-engineer, redesign their business models in such a way that it is more patient-centric. Now we've got a different population. We have a far more informed population who has different expectations. We also have value-based purchasing setting out expectations and accountability. Reimbursement and quality are not two separate lanes on the interstate. Under value-based purchasing, they are interrelated. That requires rethinking how you operate. At the heart of operating in post-acute or non-acute is service delivery. Service delivery is highly dependent on staff. How do we support them operationally? 
for them to be more efficient and more effective at the expected levels of performance. We can't set the bar high and not change how we support them. If you study change management for an industry as large as healthcare, there are some organizations on the leading edge of change. There are probably far more organizations that are behind. What's the first step we should take to get ready? Well, you got to know where you're starting the journey from. And so it goes back to data. And, and that's, that is an area that post-acute and long-term services and support uh, we're kind of lagging behind on. First of all, I would want to do that assessment. Where do I stand compared to uh, my counterparts, my geographic community? I'd want to talk to upstream hospital systems and understand what their pain points are study data to understand what the trends uh, are that are unfolding uh, relative to acute care, then I want to become the center of excellence in some particular area. I want to be the best in that community. Now, typically, years ago, every post-acute provider said they were the best at rehab. Well, everybody can't be the best at rehab. We've got chronic conditions that we need somebody to be the best at. So is that your nursing home? Is that your post-acute organization? Uh, How do you become the best? There's plenty of information available to us now on evidence-based practice. How do we operationalize that? How do we bring our workforce up to a level that they're experts in that particular area? So it's not just about branding and saying, I've got a program, but we've got to align that program with everything going on in our organization, from the uh, frontline staff delivering the services to the licensed nurses overseeing the care and managing it, all the way to the dietary department. You're clearly talking about performance excellence here and what it takes to be great versus just merely existing. So how do you differentiate between those that are the best and those that are not? The best that I have seen operating is their leadership and that leadership is supported by a formal plan that everybody seems to know where we're headed. So I don't whether you're talking to the housekeeper on the floor about her role or you're talking to the direct caregiver, frontline staff member about their role, they understand what their role is in the bigger picture of that organization, and everybody is headed in the same direction with the same understanding of what the vision is, what the expectations are. Because if we're onboarding people and they don't understand what our expectations are, we're setting ourselves up for failure. We are evolving toward consumerism at a much uh, at a very rapid pace in healthcare. Now, we want to stand back and talk about being different, but I don't think the consumer sees us as different. We are a purchase service, they have expectations. We know they are not as educated about what we do and how we do it, but they still have expectations, and people have choices. And so we've got to, to, to balance out our models 
uh, around consumerism and creating that user experience. So, you know, yes, you, you, you rehabbed me and got me back home in 21 days, but my God, it was the worst experience I've ever had. That's not where we need to be at. It needs to do both. Okay, so what is it that consumers desire? What is it that we're not doing? That's challenging to, to, to move from a model that has been very focused on just delivering the healthcare service or delivering that non-acute service and to also trying to understand and integrate the consumer's experience and meet their expectations. And that requires communication. When you think about the future of healthcare in this part of the market, where do you think it's headed? It's the rethinking, the re-engineering that I talked about. So we've got bricks and mortar. We've got traditional post-acute providers. We've got non-acute providers. But what we know is that for the last, what, almost eight years, nine years, every day 10,000 boomers are turning age 65. We know from the research, from interviewing thousands of people, that they prefer to be at home in their communities. This means that we have this huge opportunity to deliver services in new, different ways to people in the community. Now, some people will pause and say, well, we we don't have enough workers already, and so how are we going to do this? We have to apply technology. We've got to rethink, re-engineer. We've got to look at technology. Where can we integrate technology to support services in the community? Significant opportunities, I believe, for nursing facilities who are literally sandwiched between two types of change. Nursing facilities are sandwiched against the value-based purchasing change, where SNFs are becoming its own separate business model, per se, not this combined model within one facility. You're seeing uh, companies establish freestanding skilled nursing facilities. So that leaves that nursing facility sector, that long-term services sector, sitting there in these buildings, not able to cover their costs. However, I would love to see facilities to begin to think of themselves not as, as nursing facilities, but as chronic condition management hubs for their communities. So how do they take their core competency around the work they do for the folks that they provide residence for and extend that into the community around them. This is an exciting time for innovation, strategic thinking, getting outside the walls of what you've always done and think about what it is that really drives the value of your organization. Is it the bricks and mortar? Is it that traditional model Uh, operating model that you've been uh, utilizing. So as we wrap up here, Vicki, what do you think is the primary prescription for success for the non-acute market? What, What do they really need to do in order to thrive with these types of changes that are coming their way? 
for the non-acute providers where we know infrastructure requirements are sometimes prohibitive to allow them to stay competitive, they need to collaborate. They need to form networks with their competitors, their counterparts in the marketplace in order to create the uh, leverage infrastructure that they need, whether that's around HR competencies or training instead of each organization having its own training program. So let's figure out how we can collaborate in order to get more efficient at some of the back office functions that we have that are expense items. So how do we collaborate? And then I would strongly suggest specializing in one or more particular areas and build programs, align your staffing, the customer experience from point A to the end uh, uh, relative to that program, but not just marketing the program and creating flyers and nice little logos, but, you know, evidence-based protocols, who has oversight over those protocols. So specializing in a particular area. And when I, when I say specialize and have a program, that means you're measuring outcomes and you're measuring those processes to make sure they're working and you don't need to change them around that program. And so that measuring gets to the quality. So am I truly providing quality? Who am I benchmarking against uh, to know that that's quality that I'm providing? The one thing that has not changed in healthcare that I hope never changes is our ability to continue to lead as far as innovation is concerned um, on treatments and interventions. How we deploy those and how we manage those as we engage our customers is where the opportunities are. Thank you for listening. You can learn more about what we've talked about today by visiting our website at healthstream.com slash podcast. For more Second Opinions, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or subscribe on our website.